Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. This is Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter, joined as always by the Barney Fife to my Andy Griffith, Brandon. <laughs> Barney Fife to your Andy Griffith, the wacky sidekick. All right, I'm on board with this one. I actually get <laughs> like that. one of the original wacky sidekicks. Exactly. I wish I could make the same facial uh, styles as Fife does, but whatever. I mean, that guy's face was made of rubber. It, it absolutely was. One of the funnier Incredible. people on TV at the time. Hey, buddy, how you doing? It's it, it, now that we only talk once a month. I feel like I barely know you anymore. I know it's weird. I don't know if I'm a fan of this. I, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? <laughs> it's been a month. It's weird. It's been it's been over a month. I'm we're just barely squeezing in a May podcast here. There's like just a couple days to go of May. Um, I'm doing great. I ha- I had a ton of I've had a ton of travel this spring which is part of the reason the podcasts are these podcasts are 6 weeks apart on their release but but we are keeping our promise of once a month. Uh most recent trip was with Mark Norquist of the Modern Carnivore who was uh, uh one of our earlier guests on the podcast and you can go go back and find his episode um but he and I drove to Wyoming, which is about a 13-hour drive from the Twin Cities to Casper in east-central Wyoming to turkey hunt and attend the Outdoor Writers Association of America annual conference, which was fun, and I met some great people uh, and learned some stuff. The turkey hunting, man, I'm snake bit. (laughs) Literally almost got snake bit because... I was walking uh, out of the mountains having hunted turkeys for a day and was kind of not paying attention. And there was a huge snake across the road. I think it was a bull snake, but some people, I took a picture of it that was out of focus. And some people told me they thought it was a prairie rattlesnake. But let's hope it was, uh, the, the, let's hope it was the bull snake. Just to I know. Us. Even a bull snake doesn't sound good. No. <laughs> But man, we were up in the mountains and planning to hunt for a few days. Then a snowstorm came in. So we had to break camp. And Mark and I, uh, with uh, Ed Arnett, that was another guy we were hunting with who's like a world-class hunter and, and wildlife biologist. We had to go find the last two rooms in the roughneck town of Douglas, Wyoming, where we shared a bed in the Super 8. <laughs> So it was a really nice hotel room is what you're saying. <laughs> it was <laughs> a lap of luxury. Oh my goodness. Uh then we moved on to Casper for the for the conference and we spent a whole nother day hunting in the mountains south of Casper and again we're you know no we had no luck. Meanwhile, the day after I got back, I got a call from uh, one of our neighbors up north at the lake and he said, "Oh yeah, I was just uh, just drove by your your cabin, and there were three huge toms standing right at the end of your driveway. <laughs> that's that's not even fair. You, you should have just rejected that call. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brandon, here's the thing. You know, uh, we're recording this on the week of yet another school shooting, uh, which is terribly tragic and dissettl- uh, unsettling. Um, and I don't quite know... You know how to address it. Uh, we've talked about guns before. I've talked about gun gun control, common sense gun laws. 
Then I was scolded by other outdoors journalists that I should just stay away from that topic because that's how careers are destroyed by talking about gun gun control laws. Um, you know, even at this conference, there was a panel hosted by the National Sports Shooting Found Shoot, Shooting Sports Foundation. They are the industry lobbying group for all the gun and firearm manufacturers. Um, there was a lot of talk about AR style rifles. There was a lot of talk about handguns with uh, capacity of ten rounds or more which are the two most 50% of guns purchased in America right now are those high-capacity handguns followed by ARs. And then um, those two categories combined for about 75% of all gun sales in America. You get into hunting guns like the guns I own, um, deer rifles and shotguns for bird hunting, and that's total of maybe about 10%. So I know I'm in the minority of gun owners and gun purchasers in America right now. And uh, it's hard to even, like I say, man, hard to even know what to say. Now, some people may be listening to this podcast two years from now, and maybe there have been 10 more shootings, or maybe uh, we've figured out how to stop school shootings somehow. Uh, I don't know. I can only hope. Yeah, no, it's it's a tough subject to talk about. I think people know how I feel on on certain guns and in my opinion on unnecessary they're just unnecessary in my opinion. I don't see the purpose for them, but yeah, I, I the sad part is is, you know, we we talked about this, you know, months ago and this isn't the first. I think we've probably had a shooting, a mass shooting every single week plus since then. So mm-hmm. it's it's a problem that goes beyond the schools and and beyond everything. It's it seems like Ninety percent of the country wants uh, wants something that isn't being taken care of, and that's universal background checks. Yeah, that's right. I mean that that does seem like an easy place to start. So I'm sure you and I will talk about this in, in future episodes. I, you know, on, on this podcast, I thought about, I, I've held it for a couple days. I've thought about, well, maybe we just hold it for a couple more weeks and post it sometime in June. But on the other hand. Um, here we are. It's Memorial Day 2022. A lot of people are probably driving to off to go fishing, maybe go get one last turkey hunt in, uh, or they're driving to spend time with family and friends. And maybe uh, you want a podcast in which you hear three middle-aged white guys laugh their asses off <laughs> at each other's jokes. And I got to tell you, Brandon, this podcast with Hal Herring and Mark Norquist probably is the most fun I've ever had recording an episode of the Reverend Hunter in our 57 episodes that we've that we've had um oh I see I see the episode I'm not there for I get it I get it ah uh, yeah right right <laughs> no you've been you've been there for some of the most intense and poignant ones uh the most informative ones this one was the most fun uh it, That's awesome. Hal Herring well r- listeners may remember Mark Norquist He's the founder of Modern Carnivore, which helps people get into hunting and learn how to, uh, the, the tagline is eating meat responsibly. Um, Mark has been on the podcast before. He and I are jointly recording and releasing this podcast with Hal Herring. Hal, Hal's incredible. Hal's incredible, man. You'll, you'll find this out once you start listening to the podcast. He is a 
a, a journalist, outdoors journalist who's written for every outlet. He's a contributing editor for Field and Stream magazine, um, an incredible hunter and angler. He hosts the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers podcast, which is called Podcast and Blast. Uh, he lives in a tiny town of Aurora, Montana, but he comes, as you'll hear from his voice, he's got a bit of a sling blade accent coming from uh, Alabama. Man, we, we cover everything, um, and we laugh a lot. We have a lot of fun. I think, I, you know, I think you'll fall in love with Hal Herring if you listen to this podcast, and hopefully you'll go online, find some of his writing. Uh, he's working on a book on America's public lands, which uh, you know I bet will come out in a couple of years. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And uh, of course, keep an eye on Mark at Modern Carnivore because he does all sorts of intro to hunting stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit longer than our normal, but it's so good and so funny. I, I think people love it, man. Oh, I can't wait to listen to it. I know Mark took care of all the, the hard editing work for me, so I've actually got to listen to this like everybody else through my subscribe. Yeah, we, we, we drove home from Wyoming, and he had headphones on and riding shotgun editing this podcast. Uh, so it it uh, hopefully it turned out okay. We, we just had a great time at uh, Outdoor Writers Association of America. And, uh, yeah, we cover everything, man. We cover everything from uh, Thomas Aquinas to cannibalism. So <laughs> that's, that's the full spectrum. It is a full spectrum. Uh, yeah. I hope that you, you all really enjoy it. Definitely tune into Hal's podcast, tune into Mark's podcast. You can find links in the show notes. Uh, and with our podcast here at the Reverend Hunter, give us a like subscribe, uh, review, share it with your friends. And remember that we're part of the talk North family of podcasts, which, uh, over which Brandon is the godfather and so uh, tune into some of our sister podcasts as well to find more about the outdoors and about uh, your favorite Minnesota sports teams. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my conversation with Hal Herring and Mark Norquist from the Outdoor Writers Association of America. Enjoy. Okay, we're here at uh, OWAA, which is the Outdoor Writers Association of America. 2022 in Casper, Wyoming. And I'm joined by a couple friends here that uh, I've wanted to have on the podcast for a long time. And uh, I've been on both of their podcasts, but never had them on mine. Funny how that works. Yeah, yep. exactly. Huh? <laughs> oh, you should see that look, everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they can imagine it. Yeah, exactly. Why don't we Why don't we introduce ourselves? Hey, I'm Tony Jones. I'm the host of the Reverend Hunter podcast, and uh, my listeners... Who are listening to this on the Reverend Hunter stream? I want to. You've already heard Mark in the past, um, and so we're glad to be. We've driven out here together. We spent a lot of time a lot together. A time. It's we've had a bit of a planes, trains, and automobiles <laughs> scenario, which we're which we're going to be talking about in another episode where we're talking just the two of us about uh, where you become John Candy. Our, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Mark's channeling John Candy, my, channeling Mark's my John inner John Candy. <laughs> exactly. Yes, Casio. Casio? <laughs> <laughs> and who else have we got here today? So I'm Hal Herring. Um, I also have a podcast, a Backcountry Hunters and Anglers podcast and Blast, or I host that one. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm a jack of all trades and master of none. <laughs> 
But a jack of all trades is better than a master of one. Uh, ooh, there we go. That's true. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I, I'm absolutely a thousand percent there with that. Especially when like the trucks broke down or whatever. You know, you don't want just the brain surgeon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> If you need the brain surgeon, you need him, but he's gonna be—he's not gonna be a generalist. <laughs> so we're gonna bring that up. We're gonna bring that up today. I think that's a good—that's a good theme in terms of jack of all trades, but especially in prepping. I want—I definitely want us to talk about prepping. Yep. Post-apocalyptic <laughs> prepping. We're gonna go Absol- there. Right? We'll go there. Absolutely. Yep. Knowing this group, I'd rather have a guy who can shoot and skin a squirrel than a brain surgeon. After the apocalypse, right? right? Yep. I mean, if you need brain surgery, you're probably SOL yep. anyway, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's no ICU to rehab you in. That's right. But can you you cook up a squirrel? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, baby, that's where it's at. Take that tail, make a nice little uh, jig out. Yeah, the maps. Yeah, maps, exactly. You know what they charge for those? We're going to go off on a million tangents. Warning, lots of tangents on this I love conversation. Uh, do you, they charge, I think they pay you like 10 cents a tail or yep. something like yep. that. It's Because like, I was going to do it one time, and I, and I still want to do it. And I've got three three sitting, sitting in the freezer right now that I'll send you. But I'm, I, I'm sort of chuckling. I'm like, okay, they're going to send me a check for 30 cents. Yep. <laughs> and then they're going to sell those lures for how much? Yeah, 10 bucks. Or yeah. <laughs> but, um, it, so the, the original squirrel tails, are, was it MEPS? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and that's and that's who's still. I mean, that's what in my lifetime it's always been Meps, and uh, and that's who's still buying them today. They're, I think fox squirrels are fifteen cents. I, they, I think you're right. They, they are. are. They are a little yeah. bit more. It might Absolutely. even be more than that. But and I don't think you could do a pine squirrel or a red squirrel. I think it's just grays or right. fox, maybe. Yep. But, uh, that's it's a great program. I, I love the aspect of utilize that whole animal. Yep. Could you catch a squirrel, cut its tail off, and then let it go and have it Ooh, grow back? Wow. It's like a renewable That's resource. Epic, yeah, it wouldn't grow back. Though. And then, yeah. and um, if you ever so, here's a tangent for you. So uh, the pit bulls that they put in the ring, if you can tell sometimes that that this is a dog who actually fights because he won't have a crop tail. Oh, and uh, that's for balance. Oh, and so sure. the sca- the squirrel without the tail. They Not lose all the bounce. They're going to be falling out of trees. Been, man, and they'd be yeah. raining down, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be no good. If you hear no them hitting on the tin roof. <laughs> <laughs> well, tin roof, That's uh, that betrays your upbringing. You, yep. You're from the south. You live in Montana, but you come yep. from the deep south. Yeah, we had a tin roof. Is that right? Yeah, that probably for aesthetics. My parents were big on aesthetics, and we lived in a big log, uh, log cabin that they had rebuilt, an old one. Okay. And they put this beautiful tin roof on it. AC or swamp cooler? No, or nothing. No, um, we had a window fan, um, <laughs> and um, oh, they did. They they were they were. <laughs> I mean, they were pretty conservative folks, right? But mm-hmm. they did not do air conditioning until they were really old. Wow! And they liked to hear the bugs. You know, no the kidding. cicadas and stuff yeah, are like yeah. that's like a big part of some of the whippoorwills. Um, but they uh, they didn't do AC for a long time, and um, but the window fan was louder than the AC, <laughs> and so there was that. Yeah, okay. It was one had, of those big. But fans you had that, some humid days as a young boy. I did. I, I, I live it. I'm, I'm I'm good with cold because okay. I've been 32 years up in the Montana. But um, I I, live, I, I have no problem with it okay. ever. The heat. Yeah. You know. How often do you do you go back down? Well, I was there this winter for a long time, um, but that was a research trip for public land stuff. Um, I used to go down a lot when my parents were alive, but they both passed away, so I don't go as much now. Do you still have a, a, a house or anything? We do. We have a, the farm that, that I grew up on. I, I moved there when I was 10, um, and we've managed to keep it. 
It's like the five children. Yeah. It was like one of those things where if you sell it, the some of its, well, I don't know how you do that, but some of its parts is not like yeah. going to change your life. Yeah. But not having it will, and you're damn sure not going to get anything like it. Yeah, own, own my salary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> As a noted podcaster and, and, and pinecone picker. And pinecone picker, right. Not anymore, though. No, nope. I, I retired. When you climbed and picked pine cones, what was that about? Are the pine cones then used to seed other trees? Yeah, so um, there's, there's two aspects of that. Um, one, the best job I ever, ever got my whole life. Was started in 2009. Was was um, climbing white bark pines, which are have a blister rust. They're like white pines in Minnesota. Sure. Yeah, they're kin to them. They're a five okay. needle pine. And um, we would go up there, and we would find the Forest Service would point to what they hoped were blister rust resistant specimens, mm. and you'd hike in, you'd climb the tree, no spurs. No spurs. You, you can't spur, you know, an endangered tree, right? You're right. not you're not there to kill the dude. Yeah. <laughs> um so it's all like free climbing. It's really, really good, really interesting. Cage the cones, um, so that the squirrels and the uh Clark's nutcracker can't get them. And then you you drop down, you'll come back to that tree in a month, you'll go do another kind of job and then harvest those. Are you caging individual cones or? Like, yeah, they're they're like work? clusters of cones. Okay, yeah. And then and then what you call the crown cone, which is right at the very top of the tree. You know, the one big cage goes over that. Are they metal? What are? What yeah, are they're made out of like uh, wire, like yeah. a mesh. Hosh, yeah, mesh. Okay, okay. Are you, are you using ropes when you're climbing? Yep. Yeah. So you you got to, and I mean, as the older I got, I started using double flip ropes. So mm-hmm. you're when you make your moves, you can you can tie in with your lower flip rope. Make your moves and then throw your next flip rope above you. Mm-hmm. Clip in on that, and then drop drop the you know unclip the bottom one, so you can stay clipped in. And then you're and then you tie off at sure. the last um, at the last four inches, the last place on the tree that would hold your weight. Yeah, and you do what's called a monkey's fist or an arborist knot, and it goes around that it comes back to your harness, and you can move that up and down. Mm. But the the cru- the the real crux is because um. You got to pull out about eight feet of slack to get to those crown to get cones. To the top yeah. one, yeah, right, after the right. four inches of mm-hmm. a lot of slack. Mm-hmm. Hammer or whatever. And so there's some, you know, there's some real white knuckling and some interesting stuff that happens to, to get the crown cone, and you have to get the crown cone. That's your contract. You're not, you don't get the crown cone. You don't need. They don't want you there. So what did you? You made pretty good money. It's doing great that. money. Yeah, it was yeah. really good money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, and then the other thing is you can then go to. Like we spent a couple of seasons in the Black Hills, and you go there and do Ponderosa, which is a much less finesse job. You you can spur them, but we don't usually spur them. So you must have fallen. Or very lost your seldom, okay. very seldom. Um, I broke the top out of one one time, and the rope all performed as it was supposed to. Okay, yeah. So you fell how many feet? I'm probably that? about twenty five. Holy 25. smokes! And you yeah. hit some branches going down. That's yeah, I tore the back out of my shirt. <laughs> oh, like I, I had that shirt. I opened uh, some looking at t-shirts like recently, and I had that shirt. No and kidding. It, and it was. So let me ask you this, because I've always thought this. <laughs> is, I don't know how we got here, but hey. <laughs> Which is, which is, I've, I've always felt whenever you and I have a conversation, I'm like, oh, this is my brother. Like, like, yeah, just philosophically, it's, it's there. But the one thing I've always gotten, I don't get it, is the climbing. 
Like, what is it? And I, I think I've asked you this before, but what is it about the climbing? Because not only trees, but you're you used to be, or you still are, you still doing doing rock climbing. I don't or? climb that much anymore. Um, rock climb that much, but for 15, 16 years, that was like a big thing. And um, it was I was never like a five thirteen climber. But what does that mean? That's like a level of difficulty. Yeah, it's very very hard. And um, but one of the things I did attain. In, in my constant pursuit of generalist mediocrity. <laughs> um, was See, there a, we go. With it. Again, that's the brotherhood. Right? I, got, I, uh, I, got, I, I, I could climb 510 on gear, meaning traditional trad gear, yeah. in the backcountry. So I was, say, I, was, I, was, I was capable of that. Was it I mean, the challenge, the thrill? What, what is it that you drew I was you to born climb? to do it. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. I was climbing when I was in high school. As soon as I figured out that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, and just born to do it. Yeah. I like going up. I like the movements. I like the head space. Um, we were talking about ADHD last night and whether or not, you know, you're ADHD or not. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But I can tell you that like when you're climbing above your gear like that, there's nothing else going on in your mind except for those moves and that problem solving thing. And for that, for me, there was something in that that was like very, uh, I don't say addictive. It was very attractive, though. That to me is a lot of the outdoors, too, right? Yeah. In, that, isn't that? I, in fact, that was my next question that I wanted to run by you guys, because I've spent some time thinking, what is it, uh, and my, my listeners of my podcast will have heard me muse on this before a little bit, but what is it about the outdoors and hunting in particular that has been so attractive to me as I've moved out of organized religion, which really was such an important part of my life. Being a pastor. I, I'm, I'm going to follow on some stuff on that. Yeah. With and you. a theologian. And I yeah. mean, this was, this was my whole life. Right. And, um, but then, uh, due to, you know, cer- different circumstances, that chapter ended for me and I found great solace and connection in, in the wilderness and particularly in hunting, but also in paddling in the boundary waters and, and, and fishing, I'm not so much of a fisherman, but I, I'm going to start fly fishing after when I'm an empty nester in about a year and a half. Then yep. <laughs> I've committed to multiple people who are like, you got to fly fish. So I'm going to fly fish. Okay, okay. <laughs> but one of the things it's, I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> exactly. I've read so many like the River Y. And I'm like, uh, you know yeah, what right, I mean? Right, I, right. I, uh, uh, I, have a, I have a story. Uh, Norm McLean uh, went to, or, you know, the, the McLean went to Dartmouth, and there's a scene in the movie, you know, River runs through it, where he goes to college, and there's these black and white photos of Dartmouth in the 30s, and any Dartmouth man gets like little heart palpitations uh-huh. during that <laughs> scene of the movie when he goes away mm-hmm. and then comes back, and you know, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. But um, so I, I, there's a place in my heart for fly fishing, and I'm just reserving it. Well, throw for, poppers for those smallmouth and, and big streamers for those pike. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, you ain't got to throw the number 20 whatever <laughs> 20 e- ephemeral. <laughs> again, it, yeah, I've got a lot to learn. Yeah. Griffith um, snatch. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, I mean, it's, it's similar to what you say about climbing. I think it's that uh, for me, hunting, okay, in particular – Upland bird hunting, I, my, my, my most favorite hunting is group pheasant hunting in South Dakota. So I'm with a bunch of guys, a bunch of dogs. There's, uh, you know, there's, there's birds out in that field. And, all, you know, there's a bunch of guys with firearms. And there's uh, badger holes <laughs> that right. you could 
break an ankle. There's a lot to pay attention to. My point being, when I do it, everything else falls away. Yeah, right. Yeah. And in my life, even as a writer, it's so hard sitting at my computer every day, uh, not, you know, the phone buzzes, ah, put the phone up in the kitchen, you know, and then it's like, turn off all the notifications on my computer so nothing pops up. And then, oh, but then I see my wife walk through the, I can see through the kit door, my, my kid comes down and he's looking in the refrigerator and I know he's standing with the refrigerator doors open <laughs> for 10 minutes. <laughs> and I'm I, like, my blood pressure is going, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I need to write, I need to write. Yeah. But when I hunt, yeah. uh, it all fades away. And I, I'm, it, it just seems to me very few things in modern life demand total focus, right. total concentration. Yes. And, it's all, and, and here's, what it, here's what it seems to me. This is what I was always told in organized religion that prayer was supposed to be like. Correct. And it was never like that for me. Right. It was never total focus. Right. It was always my mind wanders, ah, and I try to get back onto, you know, et cetera. So I wonder for you guys, your passion for hunting and fishing, what part of it fills something in your soul that, that keeps drawing you back to it? Have you thought about that? What is it? I mean, it's, it's um, I mean, the question of why, why do I hunt, the, the, the practical answer to that initially is, well, I grew up with it. My dad took us out, and my brothers and I out hunting, and that's what we did. That was just the way we lived. Um, so you're sort of indoctrinated, not by choice, but just by your upbringing and, and, and those, those, uh, those family connections. Uh, as you get older, you start contemplating it, think, thinking about it more. And, and it is exactly like you said. I, th- I think when you are out in wild spaces, and I'll be honest, that's why I, I actually... For me, um, less so a prairie setting like you with pheasants. For me, it's more the deep woods of the north. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm back and I'm walking ridges either for, for a, that, were, that are filled with white pine, red pine, either for grouse or for deer or for turkeys, what have you, that is a space that you are in a surrounding that is so natural and you have to be focused if you're mm-hmm. going to be successful at it. Right. It's not superficial appreciation of the the physical beauty. It's that and looking at the ground, looking for sign, paying attention. And that combo is there's something magical about it. Yeah. And and I guess I would relate I would relate a fishing scenario. I think that I had a I had a fishing experience a number of years ago, maybe 5 years ago that I think maybe illustrates what you're talking about there, where I used to fly fish a lot. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call myself a fly fisherman. I go fly fishing as mm-hmm. one of the methods to, to fish because I don't <laughs> tie my own flies. I'm not that deep into it. Um, but I was down in Whitewater State Park, south, southeast Minnesota, and I, there was this pool. I, I, I knew there was a fish in there, and so I was just working it, and I was working it again. I would go fish some other areas, and I'd come back. I'd be like, I know there's something down in there I'm going to. I'm going to get one. And I hooked into a fish, brought it up, released it. I was releasing that, that fish. I don't eat all my fish, but mm-hmm. I do eat a lot of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I suddenly had this moment of everything went away. Like literally, mm-hmm. I physically experienced all of that refrigerator being open, wife walking by the office, 
the, the mailman outside, the distractions of daily routine, it literally just washed away, and I was mm-hmm. in that moment. And I thought about this. You and I and Ed, we were, we were out hunting turkeys a couple of days ago. On the way out yep. here, we drove out, we went to hunt turkeys. And that's when I, when I said, I'd love to just spend a week here. Because it takes me, on hunting, it takes longer. It takes me three days maybe to get into that, into the zone of where I'm here now. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking those, I'm walking those woods and I'm, and I'm part of that environment, but it takes that long. The inhabitant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, um, so yeah. And I, 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 without leaving the climbing things, I used to, uh, I didn't, I didn't do this for long, but I used to carry, like I change, I would change like into a pair of shorts or change into that to change your reality. Like before you do some a climb that was like serious, and in hunting when I was in high school, which I did not enjoy, you um, didn't enjoy high school. No, okay. I did not. I didn't enjoy uh, any any part of the schooling experience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, I'm all for public schools, and I'm I love education because I don't want to live in a society with dullards. But for me personally, I, I did not enjoy it the the experience. Um, but uh, I would come home, and I would usually go squirrel hunting. Or um, we we could deer hunt too, but not not as much back then. But uh, squirrel hunting or rabbit hunting, and I would count down from a hundred. This is something I still do. Hmm. And when I got to zero, I would like open my eyes and I would like let's see, we've changed the reality now. Hmm. You've left behind the like the sweat and the yelling and the cacophony of of gym class and the in the hallways and stuff, and I would inhabit, I would, I would step into, attempt to, it didn't always work, yeah. you know, and like, oh, wow, I wonder what that gal's doing, you know, you, your mind will wander, but um, I would attempt, consciously attempt to step into another reality, and a lot of times it worked. You know, and, each of you guys have, if, if each of you guys have described something that a theologian would look at and say, there's something quasi or proto-religious about it. So for instance, the reason that um, if you go to Europe, it's not so much in our churches in America, which are based on a much more egalitarian, old congregationalist meeting house in New England kind of scenario. But if, you, if you've ever been to Europe and you walk into a cathedral, you walk into St. Peter's, yep. say, or you walk into Notre Dame, the, the point of that architecture is for you right. to leave one reality... Right and move into another right. reality. Yep. And the whole reason basilicas are designed the way they are is to sweep you forward and up, forward and Far up, out. into the uh, apps where you see a mosaic of Jesus on the throne or what, or the Virgin Mary or whatever. But that's the, the point of that architecture is, is that. And then, Mark, Damn. what you're talking about is, it's true, it's true. And then what you're talking about is, is, is like an epiphany experience, mm. right? Like a revelation type of experience. That's... That's what religious people have those type of like, I had this moment, something happened that had never happened to me before. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you don't have those every day. So the way you stay religious or whatever is you hang on to the memory of that. You somehow, you somehow codify. I mean, this is what religion does. You somehow codify that transcendent experience yeah. yeah and you say well yeah. let's sing about it in a hymn every sunday it's not going to happen every sunday yeah. we're just going to sing about it yeah. every sunday. but for me in in religion when uh i went to church as a child my parents insisted on that and um i always loved the hymns mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um less so the episcopalian stuff although they were good too 
um, the Baptist hymns, the Baptist hymnal. And I have the Baptist hymnal on my shelf at home and I still read it. And I, I love the, I love the words and I love the, I love the experience. Mm-hmm. And my father would actually sing. He was a really good singer. He mm-hmm. didn't sing like outside of church, but he would. And, um, and, and I think that was interesting to me mm-hmm. as like a little kid. Um, I was like that, you know, this is something that, you know, men do. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like it, yeah. this ain't this ain't it ain't like a uh, um it, this is something you could you it's it's okay to sing and be exalted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know I can I I mean I can dig it. I, I am an agnostic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm I go with W uh E O Wilson on that. You know I mean I go with E O Wilson on just about everything. I kind of <laughs> relax my intellectual strivings. But uh, <laughs> E O Wilson said I I'd, I'd be a fool if I told you I knew. He said I'm a scientist. <laughs> Yeah. He said, I, I, I said, I can't tell you it ain't there. He didn't say this. He, what he's saying is, I can't tell you it ain't. Yeah. I can't tell you it is. Right. But he said, I, you know, I'd be lying if I said I knew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what he described himself as. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I mean, that's right. So let me throw this out as, as, uh, as sort of the next, next conversation point uh, of our ramblings. And that is, you know, in the context of, of today, um, you know, we got a lot of deep conversations going on at sessions at night, et cetera, uh, about the outdoors, about hunting, fishing, who's doing it, who isn't doing it, um, how do we how do we engage people in it? Is hunting even relevant in twenty twenty two? Is is it? Does it have a relevance? We're talking about deep stuff here, mm-hmm. but a lot of people would say no. It doesn't. It, it, we don't need to do it, practically speaking, um, and or you know, in this in this age we live in, um, we're, we do not want to cause harm. We do not want to have see pain, uh, of which that is an inherent characteristic of the hunting uh, activity. Right. And so, uh, we think. I mean, is uh, is is it relevant? Yes or no? And if so, why? And I'm gonna get us some beers. Okay. <laughs> um, do you want to start? Go ahead, Al. Well, I, I I I come across this a lot. Um, this this question or whatever, and it's it's good. It's interesting because I don't. I, it doesn't work for me. Um, I can no longer. I, I I can't remember what Native American was that said it, but I can no. I can. I, I'm not me if I'm if I'm not a hunter. Right. And I was, Absolutely. I was, so it's I, existential for you. It's existential yeah. for me. Yeah. Thank, yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, when uh, I mean, I was working one time on a reclamation job, Black Mesa coal mine down in Arizona, and it was October. Like I think it was like the opening weekend, October twenty fifth. You know, and I, I was just like, I'm, I'm gonna continue to do the job. I'm getting paid, right? But I couldn't even. I couldn't think. I, I couldn't. It was just. <laughs> I was like, I got to get home. I got to get this job done. I got to get home. And this last year, November 11th, I was, I was, I was called, I was working to make a living. <laughs> and uh, November 11th, I mean, I booked home. I went to bed. I got up and I left. I went hunting. And, and you know, thankfully I had been working long enough that, that, that like, I just hunted day after day. And I was finally successful, which was not, it was also a fluke, actually. I mean, I can shoot, I can get deer usually. Um, but I, I, I got an elk and I was, but I, it, it, it nothing else was going to happen. Yeah. And my wife will tell you the same thing. She just said, well, you're, that's not going to happen during hunting season, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever do, it do is. Do you think, do you think that 
um, that aspect of hunting being so core to your self identity is something you can you could articulate other than saying I wouldn't know who I was if I weren't a hunter to the point that could you to to coin a phrase evangelize somebody else into that no no Mm-mm. it's just part of you yep. yeah that's I say, I wouldn't know I, how to interpret it for somebody else here's right. the thing even if you could articulate it in the most perfect way. I don't. I think it would fall so short of being go. able right. to 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 convince someone that it's something they should they should do. I mean, I I, I think it just you have to experience it. I've seen but, it time after time. But think of all the people who would never be have never been exposed to it. Who yeah. I mean, I mean. It's, so I've I've ex, I've explained it to myself. Is um, it's DNA. I mean, I I, I go to the cave paintings on the Smith River. And I'm like, yeah, I'd paint that. I mean, you know, <laughs> like like this is um, twelve thousand years old. Yeah. Um, I'm in. I, I it, it, no sooner. Um, what are the other like hungers? You know, of of mammalian hungers, right? Well, to me, it's a, it's just a mammalian hunger, a predatory hunger. And I I, I I like wolves. I like grizzly bears. Me and them, we're we're all we're we're alike. You know. I loved yesterday. Um, George Abeta, the from the Shoshone mm-hmm. uh, tribe, did his did his fancy dance, and talked about the Shoshone, uh, the different the the different tribes or the different the different groups, and he talked about the the sheep eaters, talked about the bison eaters, talked about the salmon eaters, and I I just loved hearing him say that just for, and and I want to have a conversation with him. I told him after I said I said I want to talk to you about that. Where the identity is so connected yeah. to the game that they that they lived off of, that it would be hard to describe how do you live without that. You know, it is. It's just part part yep. of you, and that's where I think you know. In terms of, yeah, I don't think you can explain it. I don't think you can you can effectively explain. I mean, we call it bison culture, like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when people are studying that part of you know the the plains tribes. Bison culture. I, I have such vivid memories of trying to evangelize people to the Christian faith in college. So, like, I know the struggle of doing that. And I have this vivid memory of telling uh, – I had a friend in college, I remember, and he was like, really, stop telling me about Jesus. <laughs> I'm not going to – I'm not going – and I said to him, I'm like, here's, here's what it's like for me. This is the best analogy I could come up with. I'm like, I've seen the greatest movie in the world, and I think everyone needs to see this movie. This movie changed my life. you got to go see this movie. I can't stop talking about this movie. And he's like, God damn it, I don't want to see the movie. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just not interesting to me. Right. And to me, I remember that moment because I remember confronting the reality that here was somebody whom I cared about, and a dear college buddy of mine, and he just like the most important thing in my life, and he just close the door on it. It, Mm -hmm. it, We weren't going to talk about it anymore. It was over. There was nothing I could say that could get him over the line, you know? So I I know the struggle um, of that, of trying to articulate it. Mark, I'll answer your question in two ways. That I think, um, why I think hunting is relevant. And in in ways that I think, a vast majority of Americans, if you set them up with the premise, they would agree with the premise. Okay, so here's the first premise. We don't 
uh, have enough appreciation of where our food, particularly our meat, comes from. You tell that to almost any American, and they're like, yeah, it's totally true. Totally true. We get our chicken. It's wrapped in saran wrap at the grocery store. You get it at Costco, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, so we can solve that by hunting. Like, there's, there's a way to address that dearth that we each have as Americans. So that's the one. And then the second is, I would say, um, we're, we, we're very much out of touch with death. We have, we have sequestered death away. And, and all, all, all human beings who preceded us till the last 100 years... They were confronted with death all the time, whether it was butchering a chicken in the backyard or grandma dying in, in the living room yeah, on, exactly. on the bed, right? Yep. Yep. They yep. saw dead people. They saw dead animals all the time. Now death is like sequestered away into a hospital in the ICU and then it's then, hired out. Then through, yeah. the, <laughs> then through the basement garage of the yeah. hospital yeah. in the hearse yeah. to the... You know, nurse uh, to to the funeral home, and then the embalming, embalming and the makeup, yeah, and yeah. maybe there's. An, but even where I'm from, as as Catholic culture fades, there's less open caskets, there's less reviews. Yep. Straight to the incinerator, and then you might have the funeral with the urn with the ashes in right. it. Nobody sees the dead body. Yeah, the ultimate, right. the ultimate, like like disembodiment. Absolutely. And we and, and the Stoics had this phrase. In Latin, it's memento mori. Remember your mortality. Remember Mm, your death. Yeah. Okay? And it even goes back to the Roman emperors. When they came into Rome, a a general or an emperor came into Rome for a a triumph after a great victory, and they'd parade all the the slaves and all the the conquered people, and they'd parade all the the treasure that they've stolen, etc. And then very at the end, along came the... The emperor in a golden chariot being pulled by four stags, okay? Wow. And in the chariot with him was a slave whispering in his ear, remember, you're not a god, you're a man. Remember, you're not a god, you're a man. Wow. And then they killed that slave at the end of the parade. But he was, it was this memento mori, remember your mortality, okay? Wow. Hmm. You see... You see, um, middle, you see paintings from the Renaissance, and you see the paintings of the great painters of light, right? Like, um, like Rubens or something. Yeah. And he'll paint a fruit, and there'll be a brace of pheasants, and then there's what? A skull. A skull, yep. That was remem- mm. remember your mm. death. That's awesome. And I think hunting more than 30 years in the church of being a pastor and a theologian and hearing sermons about death, nothing is like watching a white tail die in front of me. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Those big brown eyes. Yep. They're struggling to live. I yeah. have I, I have inflicted a mortal injury on this mammal. Yeah. With whom I share more than I di- di- don't share. I mean, I'm more similar to that oh, deer yeah. than I am dissimilar. So why do we and I think I wonder if this is if this is primarily western and and, and American culture. Uh, it's just Western culture. Let's just let's just more generalize it like that. Um, Denot has this obsession with denial of death. Is it is it due to uh, a, a, an imperative of of it's a weakness and we can't show a weakness and we don't want to acknowledge and a weakness. De- you mean dying is a weakness? Exactly, dying yeah. is a weakness, and, and we don't want it. We don't want to acknowledge a weakness. Well, I'd like to ask you, Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm I'm not sure if it's that. I know that would be true if you were younger. Yeah. But certainly it's not weak to die when you're 90, and yet we still. I, I, so my question to a, a person of, of theologian, um, I, I think it's in the scriptures somehow interpreted that death is, um, well, it's not, though, because you're going to heaven. And like right. um, Nathan Bedford Forrest, you know, who was a pretty weird dude, right? He used to ride with his hand held up because he thought it put more blood in his heart. I mean, he had some really weird, weird theories, but he was, I mean, he was a very effective person. Yeah. And he said, um, he said one time, they said, man, you're riding that horse right through that, you know, storm of mini balls, right? And he said, I, only, the, my, only my maker knows the hour of my taking. In battle, I'm as safe as I am at home in bed. And so I'm, I'm wrong about that. I don't think it's a religion. Well, but, no, that's, that, what that, a, that's a very common belief among religious people that the hour of your death is known to the divine, right. but not known to you. So it almost doesn't matter what you do. But, but I, most people so, don't live like that. So then why do, why do we keep people, do such heroic attempts to keep people alive in the hospital until all of their savings are drained out and the kids are like out in the yard going like, whoa, at least we got the car. I, you know what I mean? It's like if that were true, if that theology were, were taken to heart, I, it, it wouldn't bother me a bit to be, I mean, like, it's like I'm heading for for. Uh, Zion, I'm heading for paradise. I, I think, I mean, I, I think it's, and I throw that out about, about you know, not showing weakness as one little sort of... I don't know. I, I mean, I, I've never thought about that. It's very possible. I, I think it could be an well, element. Look how much we admire people like on Everest who, who had, what that guy, we were talking about um, into thin air last night. Yeah. Dude had his face frozen to the ground, right? <laughs> and he wakes up, that, that doctor from Houston. Yes. Yeah. He wakes up, he peels his face off, and he goes, the Calvary ain't coming. And he humps it back to the tents. But we love that. Yeah. yeah. He didn't die. Yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah. I think, that, exactly. And I, and I, think, I, think, I think there's an element of it of not yeah, showing weakness and death is a weakness. But, I mean, the example you just said of, of keeping people alive, now, now it gets so complicated in yeah. terms of, 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 you know, stalling death, keeping it further out. There's economic reasons. Yep. And th- th- now we get into Western culture, we get into American culture of creating industries and capitalism right. that, that, that are, they're built upon, built around this yep. and, and making as much money as possible. But I also think, I also think there's the component of, you could call it the Bambi, you know, era or, or any number of different things of, of where we don't want, we do, we also don't want to acknowledge pain. Either we're causing pain, right, or or that pain pain exists. Maybe I I don't know. I have a much more visceral reaction to causing pain to a dog or a deer than I do of um, not killing the dog, but but of shooting a deer. I want to cute. I want I want to kill that. I want one shot down, and um, all and of that. And, that about, and do you feel that way about a fish? Probably not so much. Not so much. Or a squirrel? No. Or the, a squirrel the squirrel I do, the I pheasant mean, a little a, bit different. There's these right? weird there's gradations. A, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, there is. I think yeah. there's a spectrum. And yeah. the closer, the, because we tend it's to weird, anthropomorphize huh? ants, animals. And so I call it like, I call it the eyelash rule. If an animal has yeah. eyelashes, people don't want to kill it. Wow. Like a deer, you know, or whatever. Because they make, well, look, it's, it's one of the reasons that, um, humans love dogs so much is there's a particular muscle in a dog's face so that they can make sad eyes in yep. a way that a wolf cannot. Yep. 
and it's, it's awesome. Right? And, so <laughs> yeah. we, and so we bond to these animals, these dogs, because they look at us in this way. Um, here's what I'd say, Mark, yeah. to your question. Is, get, yeah. Yeah. And they've evolved looking at us that way because they wanted to be <laughs> right. in camp. Correct. Catching Absolutely. the scraps off of that buffalo. 100%. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, but then they were also, they, you know, a, a do- in that evolutionary cycle of the dog-human partnership, dogs are very light sleepers, allowing, allowing homo sapiens to sleep through the night 100%. so that our brains could grow bigger. Right. And some... You know, some evolutionary biologists thinks, think that maybe that's what the Neanderthals did not have, yeah. was they did not have dogs mm. yep. guarding camp, allowing eight hours of sleep. And probably, uh, no doubt, putting bison and sheep into the, into the thing you built. Uh-huh. And so um, Dr. Larry Todd, who is a hero of mine, he's a high-altitude archaeologist in Wyoming, he, he told me, like, not being a scientist or nothing, he just said, I think we're so uh, psychologically or whatever integrated with dogs mm-hmm. um, that um, we, that uh, earlier men or women actually experienced extreme anxi- anxiety if the dogs weren't around. Hmm. Oh. Because you, this is your guard. Yeah. This yeah. is the guy who puts the sheep into, into the trap you made. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who pulls the travois. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you got to tote all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. You can eat the guy if, if if things go really bad. Yeah. But but um, he said there are b- dog bones in every bison jump that he's ever been on back really? to the Ukraine. So the dogs ran the bison off the cliffs. Yes. And I said, did they did the dogs bones small? Like, did they eat the dogs? You know. And he said, oh, not much. He said these are older dogs stuff. They died and they in, off, they, in, they, they ran off the cliff too. No, oh. they often were buried. Oh, with with some with wow. some ceremony. Oh, interesting. Huh. Yeah. Um, we've been doing this, you know. It was we were talking about the feral cats, and everybody hates the cats. They're killing all the birds, yeah. and I was just like, dude, we've been with the cats <laughs> in the cave, <laughs> and and we knew what bubonic plague was. It was rats, <laughs> and who eats the rats? <laughs> it's the cats. So like, you can it, I know they kill a lot of birds. It's terrible. Yeah. But me and cats, we're on the same team. I, I'm, I'm hi- I hang out with cats. I watch cats. I keep track of feral cats. I, was, I know that dude. You know, he lives over in so and so's garage or barn. We're, we're like, I, I, I think this is a beautiful thing about hunting as well. Um, I think we're all we're psychologically together. Like it's like even even game animals and us and all that. I think it's a. I think there's. I, I think there's a supernatural, supernatural being simply a natural phenomenon that we do not understand. Yes. You know, um, I want to get to your question, but on the, on the, on, on, <laughs> it's on a the, tough on, one. <laughs> on, on the do, on the dog thing and on the death thing, this was an interesting thing that uh, every year uh, on, on New Year's Eve, my wife and my three they're my three kids and my wife is their stepmom and the five of us go out to the St. Pizzeria Lola in South Minneapolis and we um take uh we, we talk about the things we're saying goodbye to from the former year and the things we're saying hello to in the coming year and we read last year's and then we then they actually That's throw awesome. in the pizza oven at 900 degrees they throw the we have this little tradition. They throw it in the pizza oven and it burns up. The things that we're saying goodbye to and then the last year's things we're saying hello to. That's cool. Because some things we hoped to do and some things we didn't. And this last year um, when we were doing it at the end of 2021, we asked the kids uh, what was the most, you know, what, what is one thing you're saying goodbye to? And my oldest kid, Tanner, is 22. He was 21 at the time, I guess. And he said that being with our dog – 
when he was euthanized in our it had to be in our backyard because of covid so the vet came it's a house kind of a deal and we're with him in the backyard and i thought to myself i don't that was the most significant thing that to him that happened in the year and he's going to college and he's traveling the world and blah 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 but it was being there as the dog died in our arms and i thought i wonder he's probably never seen anything die before other than a Mm -hmm. pheasant or whatever but nothing he was emotionally connected or spiritually connected to and i thought okay so your question of why we fear death i think Human beings, a, a corp, and, and they're philosophers. And look, I'm not making this up. This is like, this is Kierkegaard, okay? That we have at our very core existential dread. Human beings have existential dread. And religions try to mitigate that dread by right. saying, you're going to live forever. Right. You're going to go to another place that's even better. Streets of gold, you know, and, and everybody's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's like having an eternal orgasm is how awesome it is. <laughs> that's how awesome it's going to be, right? Or whatever. Nirvana, you name right. it. Like every religion promises Rivers this. Rivers of wine. Yeah, they promise yeah. this to say, to try to mitigate the existential dread. And the, what the Stoics said was you got to face that existential dread. Mm. And if you live every day remembering that you're going to die, you'll live a better day Mm. that day because you're like, I'm going to die. So you're going to make the most out of that day. So people sometimes read Stoicism and think, God, that sucks. How depressing. You're constantly thinking about your own death. But the Stoics were like, it's the opposite. In fact, it's the opposite opposite of depressing. Right. Because it reminds you how valuable this day is. This day is a treasure. And if you bear that in mind, so I think... I'm all, I love that. I think by... I'm raising my hand. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have an altar call at the end. By, By, I think... To answer your question, why do we hide away death? Yeah. Because it's a way of mitigating our existential dread. Yeah. Because yeah. when yeah, we yeah, see absolutely. grandma die yeah. in the living room, right. like you saw in 1850, yeah. you're like, shit, I'm going to die that too. Could, yeah, exactly. I'd rather not think about that. But yeah. So isn't that a fear of the weakness yeah, of sure, I'm going to die, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. and, and so, um, your mortality. Yeah. I, I go back to Ghost Dog, which, um, you know, Forrest Whitaker's... Um, this, the, the the American Samurai, and you know the movie, yeah, yeah. And he said, yeah. and he has that. He he does that cool voiceover where he goes, every day, you should imagine the samurai should imagine himself being thrown off of cliffs or torn <laughs> apart by a pack of wild dogs, and and to to, to prepare the same yeah, very same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. so that so that when you know as a samurai, like somebody's going to try to kill you, you know. So when this happens, it's like you're you're already free, right? That's um, right. the the. Rilke poem, and he says, "Oh my God, I don't want to mess this up." But he says, um, "The animal, the free animal, lives with his death behind, and his life opening up before him like flowers in the sun." Mm. And if mm. you if you will read, that's the eighth duino elegy mm. of Rilke. That is, yeah. The free animal lives with his death already behind. Yeah. And and he and he goes on to talk about people who are they live with the death in front of them and and filled with dread yeah and so they miss yes the moment of which of which they've been given the the only real gift you'll ever be given the only the only immutable gift right so so culture right now okay it's twenty twenty two culture right now young culture um values transparency, right? Everything's transparent. We, we, we need to That's know. That's kind of funny because it, t- transparency is at a low ebb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
But it's like to me, like that is that is the ultimate of of transparency of acknowledging your mortality, right? And and facing and understanding that for you to live, something else has got to die. Yep. That's the question. That's the point that people don't want to acknowledge, and they're yep. trying to they're trying to avoid it a lot of times. I think. With, again, how they eat, how they live, what have you. And they're trying to deny that there is death for life, and that exchange that occurs. They're trying to, they're trying to cheat the equation. Yeah, huh? Right. Well put. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's the piece of it. That's, that's the, I think, the cultural, the psychological piece of it of, of why hunting is valuable. Why it's valuable? Why it's valuable? Yeah, because it's 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 un it's it's not abstract. Exactly, it's very transparent. And um, I'm trying to go back to a time. I always, my daughter has killed some deer, you know, bucks and stuff in the back country too. And uh, she's a very goal oriented person. She likes she likes goals. Okay, and and killing that deer was her goal. Yeah, and yeah. then when she gets it, um, she's messed up to before too. I mean, you know, it's this is not some kind of like like, uh, she, but she's she's pretty good. Yeah, um, and uh, I, I I asked her one time. I was like, you know, do you feel bad about this? Like, and um, she doesn't. The goal is achieved. Yeah, um, she loves animals. Yeah, like she's a in pre vet, and she's like the best dog person ever. But um. I, there is a very big dichotomy here. I, yes. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I was starting to wander into this, and I'm like going, I don't know. I, I so, but but being goal oriented. So um, when my kids were younger, they lived at home, and we didn't want to buy meat, partially because we could, didn't want to spend the money. Um, I I don't I didn't have a whole. I, I was really happy when I put three deer in the back of the truck, or uh, I had three tags, or whatever. Um, I killed. Fairly with 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 um, a goal in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's what most people have done. Like when they're running the bison off the cliff yeah. and stuff, they're like, "Woohoo!" Yeah, you know, meat. Um, and I was so pr- happy. I'm not. I'm not sure about proud. I was super happy to have those three deer hanging in the barn, and take a day off and go skin and cut meat. And go like, "Holy smokes, we are we are in, we are in, buddy." There is there is there is something visceral about an animal hanging a stack of wood a firewood Comfort, yes that is just like that I get a feeling a warmth inside that is like oh that is wealth right there that is wealth yep. and it's comfort and it's and so it's right assurance. there is your relevance maybe yeah i mean and it does. It can't be for everybody because, like, I think Matt Ranilla said, if everybody was recruited to go hunting, there'd be a uh, it'd be a draw only on gray squirrel. You know, <laughs> Matt. But, you know, <laughs> exactly. but I listened to that podcast, you know, and um, but uh, he it was like, I mean, it can't be for everybody because there's there's eight billion people. But yeah, exactly. But no, for it, those it of us who no, still it value it, but it, but it's like okay, well, that's a whole tangent. I mean, we're four percent of the U.S. population right now. We're mm-hmm. such a small percentage. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oof. And it's so so it's it's such a minority. Uh, and it's and it's got all kinds of implications. Every one of them is in my spot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there we go. I don't know how they figured it out. <laughs> my next question to you guys is: is this one is can we um, 
can we as a species, can we get beyond the desire to hunt? Okay, I just ask you, is it relevant in 2022? We all have our opinions on that and pretty similar, but... You know, let's say somebody thinks it's it's we've moved beyond it, or we should move beyond it. Can we get beyond the desire to hunt, or is it so ingrained? So I'll give you an example. Um, I've for the last few years I've been doing these butchering clinics in my garage. Okay, I get a deer, and I invite people over. And you get a permit from the city of Minnetonka to do that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Editor, exactly. editor, exactly. I just, I just get a permit. I go in my backyard, get that deer. So I do a butchering clinic, and I have people come over. I just tell people, I just say, hey, stop on over if you want. And I've had people come that have no desire to hunt, but they want to understand what this process is. Mm-hmm. I've had other times when we've been shooting a video of butchering an animal, oftentimes a deer, and my son, when he was young, he was probably four or five years old, he'd come out and be like, can I have one of those bones? I need one of those bones. I want a bone. Mm -hmm. He wanted the bone. So I believe there is just like this innate, again, to your point earlier, the connection, the connection to the world, the connection to the animals. Um the connection to eating, the connection to understanding how we break down an animal, how it becomes, how the animal transitions from this being to food, to right. meat. Uh, my, obviously, I mean, I, I got my opinion. I think you guys would agree. I, I don't think there's any way we could ever get beyond that. I mean, I think we would have to so fundamentally change as a species to not have that desire, that connection to those animals. I, I think about the Janes, the J-A-I-N-S, the, mm-hmm. the sect in, that wears the mask so that they don't inhale any bugs. And um, I'm sure they're vegans, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know that in, in India? Oh, in India. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so maybe some for some of us, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, d- I, I, I disagree, Mark. Okay. Sadly, yeah. sadly. Okay. I think, <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, I'm happy to disagree with you. I love I know it that. I disagree I know, with you. I know you do. But uh, <laughs> I think with plant-based proteins, pea protein going into Impossible Burgers and, and then, you know, growing uh, meat. And you and I have had conversations about this before. Yes, we have. Growing meat in a lab. lab. I do think we have the potential that we would evolve past that you, uh, that kind of whatever you're saying, that, that existential longing to butcher, know where our meat comes from, get blood under our fingernails Chase. and flesh. Yeah, yeah, all that. I do think potentially we will evolve as a species beyond that need and desire. How long it, will it take? I think it's well, not long. <laughs> What really? No, you think, think it, you think it I can... think not long. Like it would take a gen. What's a generation? Twenty no. years? A generation? Think, a generation so. or two? When when there is because back to the question of why do we um, why do we hide death away from ourselves? We have agency. We're doing this on purpose. We're hiding death away from ourselves on purpose. And I think it's evolutionarily bad. And yet there's something that we're we're doing it. And I think similarly, it'll be very, I think there's a lot of money involved in protein. 
Okay, so I think there's a huge incentive Big time. for corporations to figure out how to feed 8 billion people without killing animals. It'll be cheaper. It'll be yep. cleaner. It'll be better for the environment, etc. I think something huge will be lost. It might be like um, we might be uh, those of us who hunt or our, 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 um, our successors who hunt, you know, our progeny who hunt might be like kind of um, like people who do Civil War reenactments. Or like, how let, so? Like, like let's show you what it used to be like. Oh. Come watch a hunt. Yeah. Come and, watch a hunt. And, wow. then, and then there'll be people who are repulsed by that. Yeah. And they'll say, like, it'll be like smoking. It'll just yeah. get right. smaller and smaller. But, yeah. but let me, let me I, I'll have a caveat. Um, so eventually, we, as we were talking about, the population of, the, of human beings is going to decline somewhat, right? It's already, right. We're, that's already in, in, the, in the vision, the, on, the, on the horizon. Um, so I think that, that perhaps there will be a resurgence of the, I don't think that the, that the, the inner gene, the, the chase gene, the hunting gene, whatever that is, um, will disappear. I think, I think it may, it may be extremely rare and disappear for a while. It might be ostracized and all that stuff. But just like you see in the Ukraine, like we thought we were beyond that kind of war as well. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and it's, it's kind of, and it is kind of a, um, it's kind of bad to think that because it was happening in Syria. It was happening all over. But, but like, we thought there's not going to be another land war in Europe. Not another land war in Europe. <laughs> right, and, right, and, right, of course, right. and, they're, and they're doing that with great abandon. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, I think that the pea protein thing will probably serve for, for some transitional things. Um, this is, you know, and I, I God, one of the things that I notice in, in these long conversations, deep conversations, if I, if I stand outside myself, how often I'll act from my own, how often I speak from my own biases. Mm-hmm. Even though as a journalist, I've spent like 30 years attempting to, to uh, question and examine personal bias. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, this is my bias. I believe that in, on the other side of this uh, human eruption, our RUP, where the, the species explodes, fills the niche, and then, and then declines, there's, there's going to be hunting. Mm. And perhaps whaling, you know, and yeah, and and back to just like I, I just I'm a I, I'm drawn to the visceral. Okay, I okay. Then I want to agree with you that hunting. Look, in a in a post apocalyptic scenario, yes. But I'm not talking about apocalypse. You're not. I'm talking, no, I'm talking about gradual decline. Okay, um, which is more likely to me. Why, if there were less people in the world, wouldn't they? Wouldn't. Um, plant-based proteins be easier be easier and whatever yeah why wouldn't they do that i believe that someday somebody's going to stand on the edge of the great plains Mm -hmm. and it's probably going to be more like weeds and and stuff like weedy it'll be we won't really recognize it and they'll be like getting some plant proteins eating and somebody's going to go man look at those (laughs) buffalo Really? Sick. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so you I think agree. the buffalo will I agree. come back? <laughs> well, I think something will come back. Yeah, yeah. What about the fencing? There's being out here in Wyoming, man. Holy shit! Yeah, there shit. are fences yeah. everywhere. Correct. And I, I mean, I'm in. I like I said, I hunt in South Dakota, so I hunt in the short grass prairie and the long grass prairie on either sides of the Missouri. And there's some there's fences, you know, but not like here. That man. was one no, hell of a like turn you took right well, there. Well, this is my question. Like, <laughs> how, how would the buffalo ever come back with would the, a buffalo with the millions walk right to a fence. of 
Buffalo walk right through a five strand barbed wire fence. Yeah, is that right? Oh, yeah. That's so one reason ranchers are so mad like at them. them. <laughs> right, okay, exactly. So I want to play out this string a little bit. So, what's happening is the population's declining. So, every, everyone's becomes more and more urban. There just aren't people living in Wyoming. There aren't ranchers in Wyoming well, anymore. I mean, how many people do you think are going to be on the Great Plains when the Oglala Aquifer goes dry? Yeah. yeah. Like, we, we've pumped it, what, 24 yeah. feet? Yeah. Like, you go down to Amarillo, and it's and it's like they're extending well bits, I mean, uh, uh, pipes. Yeah. So, um, it's John Wesley Powell that then, buddy. John Wesley Powell said, not beyond the 100th meridian, don't settle. They settled it anyway. It was a disaster. Then they found the Oglala. Mm-hmm. They're pumping the Oglala like nobody's business. Yeah. So, I mean, how many people are going to be in Kansas when that thing's dry? Dry land farming doesn't really work yeah. um, um, west of the hundreds. It doesn't work every year. I want to just inc- I want to say to both of you guys and all the listeners in, in this regard to read. And you're not a science fiction guy, I know, but Kim Stanley Robinson's book, The Ministry of the Future. Okay, read. It. In fact, listen to it on audiobook. That's the best okay. way to consume it. Okay. It's insane on this. It's not, an, it's not apocalyptic, but like a little mini apocalyptic event happens that kills 10 million people in India. And then everyone's like, oh, shit. Now suddenly people are like, we got to take it seriously. Is it too late? What can we do? And then it's all about water and animal protein and gotcha. redistribution of, of, of population and popu- and population decline to let's get back to a equilibrium that actually works on this planet so ministry of the future kim stanley robinson just cool. a little just throw a little book recommendation what, in there. have you ever heard of um paolo bachi galupi no he has a he has a book called the the water something it's it's a post not apocalyptic but it's in the west after the war it's gone dry and there and it's this they they get rid of tamarisk right which sucks all the water up Anyway, I, I, I have never okay. read the book. I was wondering if you, as no, a, as a person it. in that genre. I don't know it. That's interesting. So back to the original <laughs> question. <laughs> We're going to talk about the tamarisk. <laughs> so I think, I think relative to, to that, I, I guess what I'm getting back to maybe is the genetic coding that we sort of understand but not really understand and the guy yesterday morning, who's a friend of um, of the fancy dancer guy, mm-hmm. um, s- talked about his sort of uh, interest in this genetic imprinting of previous generations. And this guy was like, he was like, ah, the people are probably sort of thinking of me as a crackpot, but this this idea of previous generations Im- having. Their experiences imprinted in the DNA transferring, uh, and and he's like, I'm not, a, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, um, um, reincarnation type of guy. I'm not like, I don't believe in any of that, right. But like, I believe he said, you know, that there's this imprinting that goes on. So in in the guise of that, and thinking about again, my five year old son going, I want that bone. Can yeah. I have that bone? The people going, I want to understand how to cut meat. How does an animal turn into meat? I believe that it is so ingrained in our DNA over such a long period of time that there's no way in one generation that can be erased. It might try to be erased and we'll do something, but I think it's more along the lines of I'll be eating this pea protein. Until I can get something better. (laughs) (laughs) But is it in five five generations? Could it go away? Maybe. Maybe. Could it go away? 
I think yes. Okay. Uh, arguably, you could say. Yes. Uh, arguably, you could say that's what's one thing that's imprinted in our genetic code is that men are warriors and fighters, and and I'm not a warrior or a fighter. I mean, I don't even really like watching MMA. I know a lot of guys do, and that maybe is the like genetic residue of warrior culture is watching MMA or and listening to Joe Rogan talk about MMA or something. But um, or I guess some people might say me killing animals is is a, a residue of that. But I do think that you know, in another five generations or ten, ten generations, maybe there maybe that residue will have. Will have evaporated. I don't know. I, 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 when I say that, those who uh, turn their so- swords into uh, plowshares, plowshares yeah. shall plow for those who do not. <laughs> um, the uh, I, I think that I think that's a, a kind of a luxurious mm. thing um, of a, of a moment mm-hmm. because um, I, I, I think that there will be residues of warrior culture in other places, and those who do not embrace it whatsoever and they abandon it completely will eventually be overwhelmed mm. by mm. those who don't. Mm. Um, and I, I, I think, I mean, like, so again, I'm just, working towards my bias. I'm I a Darwinian. I'm yeah. a Darwinian, yeah. and I, I'm an I'm a, I'm a eccentric person, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, I, I'm working towards my bias okay. here. Okay. I can imagine that, um, I mean, I, and I don't, I don't want to be um, nasty, but, uh, like, what like like you've got like um the the guys who are now in the true the billionaires in our country that that are on TV all the time mm-hmm. the Amazon founders and stuff like that those are not partic- those are not people who would do too well in that battle you were talking Correct. about um and so at this moment in this luxury of this society that so many of them also are like libertarians. Mm-hmm. I'm like going, dude, they're going to put you in a pot. <laughs> like, yeah. like you're pale, you're pasty. You, you know, like, like you can't run and, yeah. and you claim yeah. you're wanting this like freedom. Well, other people got the freedom too, you know? And, yeah. But so I, I would, I would think that that would be a, a momentary thing. Okay. Okay. So you think that like uh war, uh, and, and antagonism is baked in the cake of humanity because religions, for the most part, preach peace. That the that the ideal future is peace, not war. Not all religions, but most religions. But isn't isn't that this aspirational value that that is in combat with the nature of humanity? Yeah, but that's the, a great way to put it. Holy yes, shit. of course. But yeah, <laughs> but the but 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 what Jesus. What Jesus preached was that we can get there. Jesus was not like a pie-in-the-sky idealist. Right. It was pretty, like, here's yeah. what you have to do. If you want to have peace, like, um, uh, uh, turn the other cheek. When somebody hits you, don't strike them back. Right. When somebody steals your outer cloak, give them your T-shirt also. Like, he's like, this is pragmatic stuff to keep that's the sermon, peace. That Sermon on the Mount? Yeah. yeah that's, the that's Sermon on the Mount is one of the most beautiful, you know, pieces of, of the Bible. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, it's, it's the one. I, I, it's I'm, the high point, I'm, man. It's the it's high the, point. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the greatest hits of the but, Bible. But isn't it sort of countered by Leviticus? Yeah, or is that like a is that like a layman? A, a I mean, dumb person no, no. no what you would say is that Jesus looked at the laws of Leviticus and said, "Well, that's not really working. We can do <laughs> so, better." Yeah, here's let me give you a new. You've heard it said, blah blah blah. But I say to you, da da da. So right. he took everything. He didn't ever. Uh, he didn't. Re- I mean, most. I think most theologians would say Jesus didn't ever um, cancel out the old law. Right. He simply 
uh, said, here's what the old law was meant to do. Yeah. Let's try it this way. Right. Yeah. It's in the same spirit, you know, in the same spirit. Adaptability. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wondering because the religion is also the vehicle of, of the great wars. Yeah. Mm. I mean, when yeah. you think about yeah. it. Um, yeah. Well, look, here, here let, me, let me throw another anth- uh, an anthropological idea at you that comes from an an- that goes to this. It goes to actually killing animals. And then I have an ethical question I want to ask you guys. But uh, Rene Girard was a great French anthropologist and study, studier of primordial myths. And um, his argument ultimately was that what religion, religion allowed society to form because uh, what's every human being is uh, ultimately envious of other human beings. So the caveman uh, wants the other caveman's wife, and so they fight, and one of them dies, and then you, you know, Hagar the horrible, you drag away the, right. the by the hair or whatever. I want your club, and then they fight for your club, or I want that cave. And so there's always, uh, it's called, he calls it mimetic rivalry. You see what the other one has, and you, you, you want to mirror his desire of that object, and then you so it leads to violence. It always leads to violence until along come uh, uh, shamans or priests or whatever, and they say, okay, instead of violence, look, we're going to all gather together, and once a year, we're going to kill a virgin. We're going to throw a virgin into the volcano, and, that's, and it, it, sati- it satiates everybody's desire for blood. Hmm. And everyone's like, oh, okay. Well, he calls it a lynching. Mm-hmm. A lynching is when an innocent victim mm-hmm. is killed because the mob says there's something inherently evil about that person. And is that the scapegoat? That's the yeah, scapegoat. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. This right. is what he talks. And there's a little, there's a little, you know, there's a really weird, one of the weirdest passages in all the Bible is about Azazel, the scapegoat that's sent off into the wilderness and thrown off a cliff for the sins of Israel every year. Um, but... The, the, the great innovation of Jews, according to Girard, is they start sacrificing animals instead of humans. Gotcha. All their neighbors oh, were sacrificing okay, humans. Okay. And they're like, oh, no, let, let's just kill a goat. Let's kill an oxen. Hmm. Let's kill doves or whatever. And yep. then, of course, the next evolution of it is yeah. probably what get Je- gets Jesus killed is he goes into the temple during w- the Passion Week and turns over the temples and, and the, releases the animals who are, you know, there to be purchased and then sacrificed right. during the Passover and says, you've turned my father's house in, into a house of, you know, it should be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of iniquity or den of thieves, right? Mm-hmm. So he then goes the next step and is like, we don't even need, you don't even need to sacrifice animals anymore. And then Gerard goes on to say, Jesus ends up being the final, the final, uh, Death, the final scapegoat, because he reveals that wow. the scapegoating mechanism is bankrupt. Killing animals doesn't actually appease an angry God. That that's right. all. Bull, it's all set. It's all a bullshit system. Yeah. And and Jesus reveals that. So no longer are animals sacrificed in Judaism or in Christianity. We went kill, deep would, there. How does it connect to hunting? Would you kill your dog? <laughs> would you kill your dog? Oh, see now you're getting. That. Would you kill your dog? How, like how Abraham and Isaac? How hungry, you really going? <laughs> how no. hungry? I mean, this is obviously an archetypal story. Yeah, yeah. is yeah. that Abraham's yeah. about to kill Isaac? Yeah. Yeah. The Lord stays his hand, and there's a ram caught in the thicket. Says, yeah. kill that, and this is like this is the pivot for Israel. Oh, we don't kill 
children anymore. Right. Now we kill rams. Right. And then we go the next step. So my question is this. Um, <laughs> you, you, we kill animals yep. and we eat them. We don't kill animals sacrificially. Right. We don't think it does anything spiritually Right, it doesn't seem to work. Not, yeah, right. It doesn't yeah. seem to work, right? Didn't rain. But we, we, yeah. got, we, we killed all the rabbits. <laughs> and it still didn't rain. And it yeah. still didn't rain. Yeah. <laughs> so what about killing? Where's the line? We've already talked about like, oh, you injure a fish and you throw it back. And then, oh, crap. The hook, it swallowed the hook. And then you know, we've, all, we've done this with our yeah. kids, right? And then you see it floating belly up five minutes later. Yeah. He'll be fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, you tell your kid that. You tell your kid, like, he's just taking a nap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And we laugh about it because it's a fish. Yep. Right. But then right. there's this, do, 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 we're going down the spectrum. We're going down the spectrum. And you said it before, like the dog, back in these primordial societies, they're like, well, worst comes to worst, we can eat the dog. Well, yeah. And, 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 and if it's, it's the, If it's the kids that are starving. Or your dog, the, yeah. the dog goes. Yeah, right. Well, that's and, tough, though. and you tell why it, we cry at the end of Old Yeller. Oh hell, I, I freaking I, love Old Yeller. Exactly. But so, I, I, my yeah. question is, where is this line? Gotcha. We we're talking about killing animals. Yeah, and being we're being well, honest about killing I, animals. I guess it's the purpose. It's the purpose and the reason that yeah. that that that's really what it is. In in its. The sacrificial spiritual aspect versus the practical yep. uh, side of it, and that's the piece of it that you can't. I I think you'll never be. We can have a lot of conversation. We all love having this uh, of the spiritual side of it, but I I think there's the pract the practical side of it. We can ne- we can never we can never disassociate ourselves from, and there's a a spiritual element to it, but it's not a sacrificial. Side it's of not it. sacrificial. It's but, not sacrificial. But can I try to marry the uh, the spiritual and the pragmatic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the the communion that you take, the blood of Christ and all. To I, it, I don't think I don't think I was eighteen, seventeen years old when I realized that shooting whitetails off of this place that like I just loved. I knew every plant there. Grew up on it, dug ginseng down there, looked at my, my mother, and I planted blood root. We knew every plant. Um, knew where the dirt was, like, bit thicker over the rocks when you wanted to go plant, like, something. And uh, uh, shooting that whitetail and eating that whitetail was taking communion off of that place. Damn. And yeah. I was a hundred percent. I don't. I mean, dude. I Absolutely. mean, I wasn't very old. Yes. I was like, and, and then drink drink water out of the spring. So and Tony, and, and Tony, the, what's 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 the theme of of me of when I was a guest on your podcast? Yeah, and the, yeah, and the other the other side of that is that the early Christians were accused of being cannibals mm-hmm. because ah, word right, right, leaked right, right. out that they yeah, were eating right. flesh and drinking blood in their secret that in their secret of the <laughs> soul. Right? They were in their secret ceremonies. Yep. They were eating. Flesh yeah, and drinking yeah, blood. Yeah. Oh, no, they're like, no, 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 yeah, no it's a yeah. metaphor. It's a yeah, metaphor. Right. <laughs> right? But it's yeah. like, but that, that it's is a bit creepy when you well, think. It is, but, 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 but that is, I love that story, like you said. It's so, so when it, it occurred that, to me, I mean, I was, I was young. I didn't, I didn't read this in a book. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, I, it, when I was on, on Tony's podcast years ago, it was, it was, uh, my dad had this plaque on, on the wall at our cabin. It's still there. It says, it's better to be, well, it's better to be, yeah. It's better to be in a fishing boat thinking about God 
than in church thinking about fishing. And it's just, and, and, and that, and that's it. And that is, that is the piece of it that I guess I look at it in terms of, okay, the spiritual aspect of the hunt. It is not a sacrificial scenario. It is a scenario, a situation of understanding the human condition, yep. the necessity of death and looking it straight in the eye and being hyper appreciative right. of okay. the opportunity to be here and to be here tomorrow. And you're going to be here tomorrow because of that animal dying today. Right. And that is, and that's, that's a very, that's a very uh, native American Indian type of, type of, of, of philosophy. Well, the most right? spiritual hunters that I've had on my podcast, like uh, um, um, uh, a, a trans man, now a trans man, but at the time was like a, uh, called a, well, you'd have to listen to the podcast. I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> My friend Murphy, mm-hmm. who leads hunting expeditions in Vermont, and they um, they talked about, and, and then a, a Catholic priest told me almost the same thing. So think, very, very different on the scale of like a traditional religion or whatever, but they both basically said the same thing, yeah. is that when I shoot a deer... I get the impression that that deer has given him or herself up to me. Mm-hmm. And I pass on shots where it seems to me the deer is not. And so then sac- the deer is in some ways. Yes. If you're, if yeah, you're, yeah, if you're yeah, giving yeah, yeah, that deer yeah, yeah. agency, yeah. that deer is sacrificing itself yeah, yeah. for the sake of you and your family. But Al, I'm really interested in if you could say more about this communion. What do you mean it was communion. Well, I mean, so that deer has been eating those same plants and and living in that place. It, it travels, of course, quite a ways. Yeah. But um, it 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 is it's um, it is of that place, and that place is, was ours, and I loved it. So then you end up you're taking that place, you're taking into it in, your own absolutely. Body. And yeah. then and yeah. um, I you know, and I have I don't want to trash talk, but I have no problem have been dumped into that same gully when I'm dead. Yeah. And, and man, I mean, I, I could actually, and talking about dying is trash talking because you don't know what yeah. you're going to think. But, uh, I mean, I have, once I'm dead, let's put it that way. <laughs> I, and I know, I know, I know I'm not going to be worried about it. Um, I had no problem being dumped there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, bring on the buzzards, man. Buzzards, good people. Mm. You know, um, I just, it's a, uh, it's pretty easy for me, and I started hunting so young, and I, I think I went through, you know, like, like evolutions of like, like, um, you know, this, I remember shooting a squirrel once very young, and I was like, this is rough, man, that, that dude didn't want to be killed, and I whacked him, and uh, it, I didn't, I, was, I remember that, but I, like, again, once you want something for meat, um, it, it, it's all mixed up with communion and goal and simple yeah. pragmatic achievement yeah. and and really enjoying like holy smokes a backstrap steak that that you can't buy for you can't get it unless you kill it and take you know for for those of us who hunt we've got to i think ethically think there is some line between humans and every other animal because there think of how much literature is based on the 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 psychological drama around cannibalism. 
Yeah. And that that is just anathema. So think mm-hmm. of like I knew it was going here, by the so way. <laughs> think, of, think of like the book Life of Pi, right? Or yeah. something that's like the the the, Great the, book. the Great psychological movie. gymnastics that character does to avoid the reality yep. of cannibalism, right? Which story or, do you want? Yeah. Remember right. at the end? <laughs> that's Woo. right. Do, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and um there's another great book that I assigned another science fiction book that's a fantastic book that I recommend called The Sparrow. And what it, this is just is just a subplot, so it's not the spoiler. But what if the prey animal could talk? Hmm. But it's the pre- what if pheasants or deer could talk? Right? Would you yeah. still shoot and eat deer? Yeah. If right. they could talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Because then some people are going to say, "Well, deer do communicate. Yeah, right. they would talk, communicate yeah. with each other oh, yeah, on a sure. They don't have language, right? But like as we know language, but they. I think if you're hungry enough, you get past it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that you know, I was thinking of that just a few minutes ago as we were talking. It's like, it, here's the thing: at the end of the day, where we live now in this day and age, we have no clue what hunger is mm-hmm. right right that's true yeah. and and the power of that of of that purely from a survival perspective i mean we have the luxury of debating these these issues right yeah. and i think we've taken it to the extreme some people well, think i think we there's a great place to be though because you, you it's like being in college I, I asked this college class one time i said man let's just talk about this like y'all let's you could debate it, it rest most of the rest of your life you're going to be busy yeah. You know, and um, so in this place, we, we have the luxury of having this right. conversation, not just because we're in this hotel room, but, but the time we live in. Because if you were starving, if your kids were starving, this is coming back to DNA, then you ain't going to be having this conversation. You're heading out with slingshot or dog or whatever you can get to get the food. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you. No, no, not at all. Well, I think... We've got like six more hours of conversation, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cut this one now because we got to get to dinner. I'm looking down. Yeah, I'm, I'm very hungry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I see people out the window, and we didn't get to the um, one of the things about cannibalism is whenever you want to take over somebody else's stuff, most people go like they're cannibals. Oh. You know, mm. and the Sony Bean family of Scotland, yeah. like like whether that was a true story or not, it's one I highly recommend somebody Google, you know, but uh, they lived in a cave. The kids were, they, they were multi-generational cannibals. And then the Scots have, I think like 30, 40 years ago, they said, man, that, that wasn't even real. Like they just said that but to dehumanize us. Right. Right. Nah. Now, whether it, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But well, anyway, and I, in the, okay. And in, in this, I try to end every conversation I ever have with the song being with oh, cannibalism. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, the, 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 there, there's a cannibalism tie to theology too, because in, in, in the scholastic period, which is the, 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 the greatest, the greatest theologian of the scholastic period was Thomas Aquinas. But in the, in the time of Thomas Aquinas, in the 13th, 14th century, when they were in, in the joke, we, the joke about, they argued about how many angels could dance on the head of a pin, mm-hmm. which indeed they argued about. But another thing that they actually had theological debates about was at the resurrection, when the, you know, the sea will give up its dead and people will come back from the grave and people will be back and like this is core to christian theology is there's a bodily resurrection and somehow your actual physical body will be in the new jerusalem same deal you somehow mm-hmm. it's like it, it's 
transmogrified into a new heavenly body, but it's your body still. But then they then the debate was, well, what about cannibals? Who gets that body? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and that rock is? paper scissors. Yeah. Wait, rock paper scissors. <laughs> yeah, rock paper scissors. At the last yeah. trumpet, there's yeah. these guys. Wait, oh no, no, that was my arm. <laughs> well, folks, what did I say? I said we were going to go on some tangents. We didn't think we would get uh, down these paths, but. Uh, yeah, what about the relevance of hunting? <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean to be a modern carnivore? Yeah, what does yeah. it mean to be a <laughs> We're going to continue this conversation. This is the first of many. Good. And uh, Good. absolutely, we're going to have some more fun with it. And hopefully everyone else enjoyed it. But uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Cool, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you all, man. Cheers. Great Cheers. stuff. Cheers.